There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Well, it's a blessing to be back on the podcast for a new week. We're certainly thankful to each of you that are listening. I know we finished Hope School this week, so some of you have probably finished school. We were told by some this week they had just finished or were getting ready to finish, and so we're thankful the school year is out. We have a little bit of freedom in the mornings, frees my wife up to be able to do some other things. We head to the state of Maine, will give us opportunity during the day to do some things that otherwise we would not be able to do, and we certainly are thankful for that. And we will be heading to Maine next week. We'll be up there beginning on Wednesday, the Egamalgan Baptist Church, 7 o'clock each night through Saturday. And then that following Sunday, uh, we'll begin down in Tremont. That's Tremont Baptist Church right next to the back side, uh, what they call the quiet side or the good side of the island. They're on Mount Desert Island. And uh, Brother Chuck Barnes is having us in on Sunday through Wednesday. And so we're looking forward to the meeting there. And from there, then we head on to Vermont. And so we rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. We're rejoicing the week he gave us in Shingle House. Heard good reports this week. Uh, so folks that gave testimony of how the Lord had helped them, revealed Jesus Christ to them. Had other dear brothers say that the Lord restored them in some things and how we rejoice and we thank the Lord for that. That's all we ask in a meeting. Listen, we're not looking to see 150 converts. Uh, we're looking to see one person get help. And I thank God for that. An evangelist years ago, he told me, he said, my job as an evangelist is to help the pastor. Well, the pastor this week told me the Lord helped him. So I guess I did my job according to that evangelist. But, you know, really, I'm there to help anybody. I'm there to help the saints of God, help there to help sinners, and there to help pastors, help pastors' wives, help other preachers. But, you know, there's no help outside of the Lord. Unless the Lord steps in, intervenes, gets involved in these services and these meetings, there is no help. And so if there is help to be had, it's a work of God. And how we thank the Lord that he's chosen to help some. Thank the Lord that he has uh, profited others in the ways of God, in the word of God, and what a blessing that is. We're back in Job 21 today. We're going to begin in verse 16 of Job 21. And I don't know if we'll get done the chapter or not, but we're going to push in this. And Job, again, is exhorting us concerning the wicked. Uh, Job is exhorting us concerning those that die. And what Job is wrestling now, because he has prophesied numerous times in the last couple of passages of Jesus Christ, his friends have withstood him. They have that other spirit, and they stand against him. And there's a contending going back and forth beyond the realm of our understanding. And we see that in these scriptures. It's beyond our eyes. And yet we see that God has given us an insight into that. It is that continual contending, uh, can I say, between good and evil. It's that continual contending between Jesus Christ, the creator, and Satan, the destroyer. It's that continual contending, that spirit of Antichrist, which is in the world today, always contending with the spirit of God. Again, as a dear preacher said years ago, where God's trying to build a church across the street, Satan is building a chapel. Where God has sacred music, Satan's across the street and has his music. And so everything is being contended with. Satan has a Bible. Satan has a church. 
Satan has his level of standard. Satan has his, and by the way, there are people with tremendous standards that are being used of Satan because the doctrine is wrong and the doctrine must be right. And so he tells in verse 16 of Job 21, Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. In verse 17, he says, How oft is the candle of the wicked put out? And he makes a statement there. It's not a question. He says, How oft is the candle of the wicked put out? And he's making that statement because we see it every single day. We see people die. I read the obituaries. I'm at that age now. I began to read the obituaries and see people that I knew or knew of or knew around. And you read the obituaries, and it'll read something like this. You know, he was a bartender for many years and a disc jockey for many years and loved going to the clubs and loved drinking with his friends at the river at the lake. And he was a member of such and such church of God. He was a member of such and such uh, brethren church. He was a member of such and such a Baptist church. And the Reverend so-and-so will be interring him at the cemetery. And you see that so often again, because again, religion has not helped anybody. Church membership has not helped anybody. The candle, the wicked, still goes out, and therefore you need to consider these things. And how oft cometh their destruction upon them? Again, it's not a question. It's a statement. It's, it's two sentences in there with exclamation marks. It's two exclamations. How oft is the candle of the wicked put out, and how oft cometh their destruction upon them? It's a statement on top of a statement. And he's explaining this. Their destruction cometh upon them. The wicked, again, they think they're getting away with things. They think they're getting by, but they're not getting by. God distributeth sorrows in his anger. There is stubble before the wind and his chaff that the storm carrieth away. God layeth up his iniquity for his children. He rewardeth him and he shall know it. He's about the wicked there. God lays up iniquity for his children. He rewardeth him, and he shall know it. That's the wicked. That's the wicked one. And you are of your father the devil, Jesus Christ said, referencing verses like this. And the works of your father you will do. Why do they do that? Because they're of the devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It's their ways. It's their plans. It's their ideals. And it's not God's way. One of the most difficult things as a parent, I think, and I've watched others, my children are not at that age yet, but they begin at 16, 17, 18 years old. That parent who's used to making decisions for that child will not let that children make decisions because uh, they think their children are going to mess up and they're going to make the bad decisions. Therefore, their parents lay their whole life out before them and plan out. And then they're devastated when the plan doesn't go right. And, uh, you know, you raise your children to turn them loose in this world. I don't mean to turn them loose from your home and from the church, but turn them loose on this world, I guess I could say. And therefore, that's what you raise them for, that they face this world, that they might be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. They might fight a good fight of faith, that they might find Jesus Christ in this world. That's why we raise them. That's the direction in which they ought to be headed. But no, everybody has you know careers and they have ideals and all these other plans for children, all these other plans for themselves and got their whole life worked out in front of them, yet God has no room to work and God has no room to intervene. Why, why is that? Because they're of their father, the devil. They're doing his works. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's why the chaff, the storm, carried the way. That's why God laid up iniquity for his children. In verse 18, his eyes shall see his destruction and he shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. And his children are oblivious to this. They don't realize this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual contending. The children of Satan, 
And that's anyone who's not been saved by the good grace of God, those doing the work of Satan, those doing the work of the devil, that is their work. Why? Because they can't help it. It's what they do. It's the natural man. It's not man without Christ. He's doing what he thinks is right. He thinks his ways are right. He thinks his methods are right. He thinks his manner is right. He thinks his heart is right. His mind is right. All of those things he contends with God, yet God deals with each one of those things in an individual, and God corrects those things. His reigns also instruct me in the night season. Why is that? Because God works in the night season. God works in the daytime. God works in his children. His eyes shall see destruction. He shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what pleasure hath he in his house after him when the number of his months is cut off in the midst? Shall any teach God knowledge? seeing he judges those that are high. One dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. But there's the key. He still dies. Fully in his strength, men just drop over dead. Why? Because they're in God's hands. And they're judged of God. There's a day appointed to them. I've known godly men that died suddenly in the strength of their bodies, in the strength of their youth, being wholly at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul and never eateth with pleasure. And it's talking about the wicked here. It's talking about either way. You can die a great man. You can die with all the pleasures of this world. You can die with your health. You can die not with it away and children and prosperity. And you can die with happiness. It doesn't mean you have joy. It just means you're happy. You can die in a sunshine and die on a beautiful day and you know, out in the mountains, canoeing in the lake, fishing, and enjoying enjoy life, enjoying your family, enjoying those around you, yet you're still going to die. But then there's that one that dieth in the bitterness of his soul and never eateth with pleasure. And what a horrible way to die. What a terrible way to go. But yet there's people that live in that. They're facing God with their bitterness. And my friend, the, those that don't get rid of bitterness young have a worse and worse time. Every day, bitterness clings to your soul. Every day bitterness has clung to you is another day that you're further from God. And every day that bitterness wells up in you, you're a day further from God. You get harder and harder and more bitter. And again, that's why many be defiled. A bitter person affects everybody around them. They cannot forgive. They blame God for everything. They like to blame God for everything. I've seen people whose marriages have gone awry, and they just blame God. They, their children go awry, and they blame God. But yet, I've known people that have driven their children from them, but they're overbearing. And again, them establishing their course for them. And I don't mean when they're young, I'm when they're adults. And they put them under their thumb, and all of a sudden, their children go astray. And they just get bitter with their children. Parents, they get bitter than children. They get bitter with their parents. And it just grows, and it festers, and God forbid a child be raised in a home with bitterness and be so affected by bitterness and the awfulness that comes with it. They shall lie down alike in the dust, whether you're bitter, whether you're sweet, whether you're a clean living person or an unclean person, whether you're homeless or whether you have great prosperity, you're going to die alike. You're going to go down to the dust. The worm shall cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and the devices which you wrongfully imagine against me. So Job is explaining himself. He is justifying himself at this point to his friends. He's telling them that he's going to die no matter what is calamity, no matter what is awfulness. He's still going down to the grave, but yet his friends still have not uh, imagined the right thing against Job. They're saying it's his self-righteousness. They're saying certainly he must have sinned. And again, there's that spiritual contention we spoke of at the beginning of this broadcast. 
For ye say, where is the house of the prince? And where are the dwelling places of the wicked? And Job is down the ash heap. Who do they think dwells in the ash heap? Who's down there scraping their sores with potsherd? They rightfully identified. It must be a wicked man. Why they rightly identified that? Because their, con- their conceit has overthrown them. They themselves see themselves as righteous because they're not in the ash heap, because they're not in the doldrums. They're not in the plague of, of boils and sores covering their body. Therefore, they must be righteous. And how many make that error? How many fools make that error? They look at others that don't prosper like they do. They look at others that have the plagues of society upon them. They have the scourge of society. Uh, They say, hey, we're not on food stamps. We're not on EBT. We don't have uh, government assistance. Therefore, we must be righteous. Look at this family that's failed. Look at this family that's struggled. We must be righteous. And therefore, they look at them. They cannot rightfully discern these things. Why can't they discern these things? Because they see the house of the prince and think the prince is righteous man. And they see the dung heap and they think the man, the dung heap, or in this case, he says it's the dwelling places of the wicked are unrighteous. But you know, I've been in those third world countries. I've seen the generals go through blaring their horns and sirens and have a motorcycle escort and all the peons and all the impoverished get out of their way. And yet they're wicked people. It has nothing to do with their prosperity and the way they live. I've been in places the plantation manager comes out and he comes out in his limousine. He goes to a village where they live in bamboo huts and they, they go there and they make sure that nobody's stealing the mangoes. And they find out somebody's stealing mangoes. They press the charges, try to get them thrown in prison just for stealing a few mangoes off the company owned trees. And, and people say, well, but he, he must be righteous. And he, by the way, one of the great dangers of a third world country is they do see them as, as saviors. They see though those with wealth as saviors. They see American as saviors. It doesn't mean they have uh, any help or any hope or any faith. No, but they see them as saviors because of their riches. What an awful way to live. That's why they're a third world country. They don't realize that the only savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you not asked them that you go by the way? And do you not know their tokens? That the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction? They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath? That's where all the wicked are heading. So why would you judge these things? Why would you look at these and not weigh these things? Every wicked man, no matter his prosperity, no matter his wealth, no matter his status, no matter his income, no matter his popularity, every hireling in the pulpit in America is damned. Every hireling is damned. And why is that? It doesn't matter how popular he is or how smooth-talking he is or how righteous he seems. You know, if he's a hireling, he's damned. It means he's preaching for money. He knows not God. He doesn't have a concern over the things of God. He sold his soul for the dollar. And therefore, he's susceptible to false doctrine and error and to just be an absolute fraud. I watched the thing recently for educational purposes only. I promise you, I don't recommend this, but I just scanned through it. I couldn't watch all five hours, but it was a five-hour training seminar in two different parts of basically how to conduct a healing service. And I just scanned through the lowlights of that. There were no highlights. And and all it was basically is this guy telling hundreds of stories of people that got healed. And then he's telling them how, you know, he healed a millionaire and he gave him $100,000 and he healed this one. And the whole thing is just a scam to get people involved in healing ministry because there's money in healing ministry. You tell somebody they're healed, they give you money. It's just simple. And yet, is there any truth in that? Absolutely not. Every single person that has a healing ministry is a liar and a fraud and a phony. Yet, the whole world's built by them. You go to the third world countries, again, they're deceived. There are churches in Africa with hundreds of thousands of members under false prophets, healing ministries, charismatic gifts, 
and the world's duped by them. But are they godly men? No, they're wicked. They're going to be destroyed. And thank God they're going to be destroyed. In fact, there's going to be a greater damnation for them. Yet shall he be brought to the grave and shall remain in the tomb. Because there's not going to be resurrection for them, not to life. Their resurrection is going to be on that day of judgment. The clods of the valley shall be sweet unto him, and every man shall draw after him, as they are innumerable before him. How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood. So Job said, you're trying to be comforters, although miserable comforters are ye all, but you're not accusing me rightfully, because just because I'm in the ash heap doesn't mean I'm not righteous. Just because I'm in the ash heap doesn't mean I don't know God. And that's to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. But I've learned in this life, when you suffer, people forsake you. Uh, they don't like people disfigure. They don't like people that suffer. They don't like to see horror. They don't like to see people that seemingly are cursed of God, yet they're under the hand of God, the protection of God, and the strength of God, and can walk with God. So again, Job's defending himself. Uh, Job doesn't, he loses a little bit of meekness in this chapter, to be honest with you. But Lord willing, tomorrow will begin on Eliphaz the Temanite's response to Job. So have a great day. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania. 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption falleth not. Now the angels of God are rejoicing for the prodigal. Child has come home.